ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prince Podcast here on Podcast Juice. My name is Michael Dean, and joining me today is Mr. Big Sexy and Saxer. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Had a busy week. Had a lot of litigation. Had to straighten somebody out in the courtroom. But that's all right. Mm. Ready to roll now. Ready to roll. All right. And we have a very special guest today. He is uh, coming to us live from Hawaii. He's still living that high fashion life, I suppose, doing his thing. (laughs) Jet setting. Uh, None other than Mr. Paul Peterson. Sir, how are you? So good. I'm honored to be on. Thanks a lot for having me. Man, this has been a long time coming. It's our pleasure. Right? Uh, I want to say, uh, Paul, uh, St. Paul, you take the low, (laughs) I take the high. Now let's ride. Okay. Yeah. Well, man, I'll never forget the day I got that, Michael. I I will never forget the day I got that that exact version mm. delivered to me at my mom's house. <laughs> that was exactly how I learned the inflections and all that stuff that Prince wanted me to do was by receiving guide vocals just like that one. And wow. It's so cool that everybody else gets to hear all of that because it's history now. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like, well, let me, let, let's jump right into that real quick because uh, this is very interesting. Yeah. Obviously, you've got so many accomplishments. We're going to get into those. We're starting at the family right now. So, how old were you when you got that tape, for instance? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, let's see. I was 17 or 18 when I was in the in the time and I think that lasted about a year so either 19 or 20 but you know of course I'm a bass player so my math is probably not correct but uh, I'd say 19 or 20 and it's so funny as I look at my children when they were 20 now of course they're 25 and 22 I was given that responsibility and I think it was a blessing being as green as I was because I wasn't scared I was like, cool, this is just another gig, and this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't realize the uh, repercussions, not the repercussions, I guess, but the, the gravity of what I was doing and how that I was chosen to be the singer or the co-lead singer in this path. Right. Like, I didn't really fathom how important that role would become. And, and, we, and you know, of course, I didn't think that we'd be talking about it 35 years after the fact, which is so cool. <laughs> What uh, what well, now what uh, you remember what songs were on that tape that you got initially? They 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 came they didn't come in bunches if I recall. I think they came one at a time, two at a time. Um, I can't remember exactly what was on each individual tape, but I I re- re- remember receiving many of them. And I was living at home, and I'd get them, and I'd you know have to go to school on them, but I didn't know what level of school I should have gone, you know, gone to school on them. But because once I got to the studio, I was with David Rifkin and, and Jellybean and they would, you know, I thought I just had to learn the melody and I'd put my own thing on it, you know, cause you know, I was cocky and I thought I was had it going on. No, 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 that wasn't the case. I'd have to listen to the first line and do my best to get, every inflection, you know, very close to how uh, Prince had it. And that's how the rest of those sessions went. So it was like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand what the role is here. 
and uh, it became very apparent of what I had to do to get that done. And, uh, you know, it became a technique that, that uh, I just put my toolbox at that point. And it was, God, it was a great learning experience and, of course, a great record to be a part of. Was there any sort of intimidation? Uh, you know, it's just like essentially you had to, I don't know if mimic is the word, but, I mean, literally sing it the way Prince sing it, you know. Is there intimidation involved? In no intimidation at all. Not at all. No, I mean, what it was, you know, I probably didn't realize why I had to do that at the time. But I, of course I do now, uh, many, many years later is he had a style and a, uh, an approach that worked it was funky. And I, I know I didn't have that approach when I was that age. And he had, you know, he had, first of all, a great intuition in the studio, a great, um, way he would interpret the lyrics that he wrote it was it was cool and for me to be able to cop that really kind of helped with the whole package of the band and the way he visualized not only the music but the whole uh uh imaging and branding of that band it, and it led all the way back to how i sang those tracks and he had that vision from the beginning and the way he sang the guide vocals so for me to to be able to cop that I think was essential to the whole image and branding of the band. And, and how long did it take, you know, the recording process in terms of doing the vocals? How long did it, you think it took you to do the whole album? Oh God. You know, I, I'm not going to I'm not even going to fathom to guess that, but I can tell you this. When I came into the studio uh, for the first time, I remember distinctly, David Z saying to me, he said, uh, I said, well, how long is this going to take this? You know, I've got something to do in a couple hours. I said to him, and he's like, uh, nope, you better cancel your dinner plans. Cancel everything. Cause it's going to take a while. Wow. In those days I thought a lead vocal would take, you know, a half an hour or something like that. But we really studied what was going on. He was meticulous in his approach and, and he was given a job to produce this record and, he knew what that meant because he'd worked with Prince for so long. So we worked those vocals. I mean, it wasn't that I was not a, necessarily a, a bad singer by any means, but to, to capture the essence and the vibe of what Prince was doing on that was very important to that project. And David was a stickler, man. So we worked it. Was it? Was there ever a chance to? Did you ever walk out of there crying some days? <laughs> Can't do this. <laughs> Every day, man. <laughs> I hate you guys. I quit, man. I mean, had you had recorded? Work, man. Did you re have you had recorded any vocal work before this? Oh, sure. Well, okay. You got to understand something. This wasn't my first barbecue, as far as recording or being in a band or anything like that. For those of you who don't know, I'm the youngest of five musicians in my family and my mom and dad are musicians or were musicians. So being the youngest, I didn't know any better. And I thought everybody played an instrument and sang and went in the recording studio. So uh, to answer your question, uh, I had previously done sessions, but you, know, you got to understand I come from a bebop uh, family where most things are improvisational mm. and this was not that. So that was a learning curve for me. So it, a lot of what I had to do, starting with the time, was a learning curve for me. 
it was very exact in approach. And uh, uh, what I had to do was make sure that I, you know, that I learned that work ethic because it was a different story than what I was used to. So um, that, that's, uh, that was a fun thing to, to learn. And I look back on that and go, geez, uh, you know, those, however many years I was in the Prince camp was like college for me. Right, you got that win. We're on that win machine on that world tour. How bad is it? You want, <laughs> no, you're good. You want me to? Uh, are you sure? Because I know it can be bad. That's that's what happens up here in the North Shore. They got the trade winds coming in there. That that was probably the worst of it right there. But so uh, we're we're fine. Um, oh, okay, okay, so the the family, um, uh, nothing compares to you. Obviously, you probably had many questions on this song, but. I'm just curious when you were recording this song though any inkling that yo this this song is special or it was just like this is another dope print song or, okay let me jump into this or or again was it one of those songs you're like I, I gotta sing this like <laughs> oh well I, I love the ballad to begin with but little did we know uh, how much I first of all fall in love with that song poetry that the uh musicality not only that he had but you know when i went to the studio there was drums on it mm. um, it was a it was a rock ballad it was a pop rock ballad and uh so when i sang it and what i sang to and what ended up on the record were two completely different things so i i got through the the uh the recording of the vocal and uh you know, I think I did a oh no okay, okay job on that. But when when they hired Claire Fisher to come in and put those heart wrenching strings on, mm. it really took it to a whole different musical level. For not only for me, but for I mean, there's so many fans out there that think that is the uh, the the only version, right. and, but not as many people know about that version. You know, but I, if you go back and listen to that, and you listen to the musicality of the the strings and the emotion that he added to the production of that via Claire Fisher and the approach that, of the vocal uh, and, and the, and, oh, wait, no, hold on. There we go. And the incredible tenor playing by Eric Leeds and, and co-lead vocals by Susanna. But the fact that he would take all other instrumentation out of that for the most part was brilliant. So, Prince and and, uh, and David Z, you know my hats off to you and the way and the bravery for taking out all the other instrumentation. Yeah, I always wondered about that too. Like songs like uh, you know High Fashion Mutiny. You know, my understanding, right? They pulled the bass off of those tracks on the release version. Is that right? Bass guitar. Yeah, they did. I mean, I'll tell you. I got to tell you something uh, in, in relation to that. Is that Prince is probably one of the most underrated bass players there there is. Or he is so greasy. <laughs> I picked up so much in my short amount of time when I was there because he played he play uh, bass with a pick. Wow, that's oh. where I picked that up, and that's what I've been known for for years. Is that uh, kind of rhythmic, sloppy, uh, funky? Not necessarily playing notes, but kind of ghost notes and that kind of thing. He was the instigator of all that. And he had that on high fashion and mutiny and 
some parts are left on there, but uh, uh, I think in high fashion, he took a lot of that out. But, uh, and you know, it served its purpose. In those days, that calliope sounds and all those sounds you're hearing was from new tech that he loved. It would be inspired from, and that was, mm. in those days, that was uh, a DX7 made by Yamaha. And he would just explore this stuff and get inspired and write. And he dug the way that sounded. And, and I think it was not normal to just have that there. And of course he's known for, for doing things that are not necessarily the status quo. Right. 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 Man. So I, I want to go back just a little bit. We're going to come back to the family, but uh, going sure. back to the time, purple rain, you know, mm-hmm. You coming into the band at this point, and this is, of course, you know, after Monty, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. What was, so I'm going to yep. ask you this. What was the audition thing like? And then, you know, talk to us a little bit in terms of how were you uh, accepted into the band? What was, was your relationship with Morris and that sort, that sort of thing? Well, that's about an hour answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sit back, grab a cup of coffee. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I was—I just graduated from high school. I was up partying with a buddy of mine, playing golf in northern Minnesota. I get a phone call from my brother-in-law, Stuart Pastor, who was the first cousin of Bobby Z. I'll write this down because it gets complicated. So, <laughs> Bobby Z's first cousin is my brother-in-law, Stuart Pastor. He calls me on the phone and says you have an audition with the time. I'm like, what he said you have an audition with the time? And I'm up hanging out with my bud, just, um, uh, celebrating the fact that I graduated from high school. He said, get your butt down here. You got to learn these songs, the auditions in three, three days or something like that. So we cut my ship, uh, my, my trip short. And I went back to the house living with my mom of course and uh i got the same thing happens i get a cassette tape delivered to the house except it didn't get delivered until the night before the audition so i had to learn god i don't know i'm thinking about a half a dozen time songs to be able to play them sing memorize them and try to look cool and you know be able to move my long lanky body you know so i could you know be able to do some steps. So I go in the next day to this, um, this warehouse on highway seven, Minneapolis, kind of like, you know, very nondescript building walk in. There's Jesse. There's, uh, jelly bean is another guy, uh, uh keyboards and, and another bass player. So I, I suppose I was nervous. I really don't uh, remember that feeling strongly, but uh, again, you know, being 17, you really don't understand the gravity of what you're walking into. So I go in and I start playing the songs. I, you know, get familiar with the instruments. We roll through some of these songs and, uh, and was pretty much it. Jesse was, uh, running the, re- the show back in those days. Morris was nowhere to be found. Hmm. And, uh, th- I think it went well. Then I left the rehearsal hall, got back home, got a call back. It come back the next day. I go back the next day, and uh, Prince is sitting there this time. 
I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on here? I think we played a little bit more, and uh, I think he wanted to check it out. And this is where uh, Prince came up to me, and he did the whole Wrecker Stove thing. <laughs> I don't know whether I was the first person or if he had been doing this forever, but he literally came up and did the Wrecker Stove thing to me because I was nervous meeting this guy. That I do remember. Uh, and you mean record store him, like him, straight him. from the movie, like like he did in Under Cherry Moon, like writing it down and stuff. Exactly right. He 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 wrote down the words "wreck a stove," right? And then he said, "What is it?" I'm like, "I don't know." Scared little kid. <laughs> he said, "Say it fast." Wreck a stove. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I don't know. Say it again. Wreck a stove. Just scared. <laughs> he said, where do you buy your records? Records, though. And he laughed and I laughed. And so that was his, that was his icebreaker with me, mm. which was really cool. That I look back on that now. That was, you know, it was his way of welcoming into the, into the band. And after that, he, uh, he said, we're going to pick out, we're going to pick out some, uh, clothes for you. Mm. So he said, what, he showed me a bunch of swatches from, you know, of material for a normal time pimp suit, right? And uh, I picked up this beautiful pinstripe black suit, and he said, "No one's going to notice you in that." And then he picked out the orange one that I wore in Purple Rain. And I was like, "No, no, no, no! I don't want to wear that." He's like, "You're wearing that," and that's how I got to be the orange guy with the pompadour hairdo in the time. And that's wow. how that all started. Wow. You got your pimp suit. You it's got part a of the band. <laughs> yeah. Pimp suit, living in Richfield, suburbia, Minnesota, <laughs> in one of the hip hippest R&B funk bands of all time. I mean, incredible. Lucky guy. And rocking that pompadour. <laughs> Man, you saw that hair, dude. That took me longer to get ready than it took my girlfriend to get ready. <laughs> An hour on that hairdo. Welcome to the Prince world. <laughs> you dig, yeah. So, like, what was um? So obviously, you guys getting uh prepared. I would imagine there's a lot of rehearsal. You know, getting the new band members and and everybody you know gelling together. What what was that like? Well, you would ask before what what my relationship was with Morris, and there really was none unfortunately, simply because he was, uh, you know, his best friends were just fired. Right. And as I look back at it now, I'm like, you know, I don't blame him. He's pissed off. You know, he didn't want to deal with these people who were taking the place of his brothers. Mm. You know, so he really wasn't around. He wasn't present. Jesse ran the show. Jesse, um, was, I think he took a, a page out of the book of Prince and James Brown and the way he handled the band by intimidation. And, you know, it was just his method. He was uh, very super, super, super demanding. Um, not necessarily great bedside manner. <laughs> I tell him this to his face. I don't mind it. He knows it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he was, uh, it was a lot to handle, especially trying to come into that thing. It was like such culture shock for me. Number one. <laughs> Number two, I'm come, come from a bebop family where, you know, things 
are art if you let them slide, right? There's no art involved here. You need to learn your part. You need to be able to play and sing, execute, be funky, be cool. And and again, his brothers just got fired, so mm. he's probably not really happy with the fact that he's been tasked with directing this thing uh, and trying to pull it together for this movie. So the rehearsals were long. The rehearsals were intense. Uh, and I think I'm going to get to how many months I was in the band before we did our first gig, but we, we played at First Avenue once when I was in the band, and that was recorded for in the truck in the back of First Avenue for Purple Rain. That was the end of that. So we filmed the movie, and the Morris was gone. So going back to that performance you just mentioned, that performance is out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, rumored to be like that was like I remember during the performance. You guys do this whole sort of church. Uh, I forget what you want to call it, but Morris does like a long sort of monologue type of thing, and he kind of like yeah. goes in on Prince a little bit, right? Like, do you remember? I, I recall I something you. like that too. Okay. Okay. I, it's hard to. It, I mean, I haven't heard that show in thirty years, so. I got you. He's jogging my memory banks here. Well, he says send some, me that stuff because I got to hear it. Yeah, yeah, he says something on there that's very interesting, and it ties back to to you and well to the record you're on. He says in that he says Prince, you took, did you give? Now at the end, wow. <laughs> at the end of uh, was it Mutiny? Yes, you, you can yeah. hear Prince saying that right. So here's a question yep. I have for you. And then, you know, on Prince's version of Mutiny, you know, he says, Jesse, he says, Morris, did you know that that song had, you know, was, I'm going to call it a diss record because that's what I do. But did you know that that song was sort of pointed at them when you were recording that or or when you heard it or anything? Were you picking up on any of that? You mean Mutiny? Yes. Absolutely. But it it was more from the tail end like you're talking about. You know, I'm bold, chicken, cockies and shit. Uh, Jesse, you took, did you give all that? Uh, yeah, I remember him leaving that on. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to live on the record. Mm. I thought it was just on there because he was, you know, talking stuff at, at the end of that thing and it would be broomed once the real record came out. The fact that they kept that on there, I think he kind of liked that rivalry aspect of it. I mean, God, they had it for forever growing up. Why wouldn't they keep that going? I think it was a, uh, I think, those guys had a special brotherly relationship that, that was built on competition, mm. you know? And, and, uh, that's what I read into that. And I knew that, you know, they were making digs at each other, but you know, that wasn't my, my dig to make, even though people probably thought it was me saying that at a certain point in time, but obviously right. they, everyone figured it out. That was Prince taking a dig at those guys, man. That's So, I mean, I, I knew it was on there, but, and I knew it was a dig towards them. I got my own digs on different records aimed at me later. <laughs> right. Sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> that, that. That's just wild to me because, you know, nowadays, you know, obviously we have these records and people battle and, and sometimes it can go a whole different thing. But I was always curious, like, you know, when the time sort of comes to an end and then, you know, how was the conversation sort of come to you where it's like, hey, you know, St. Paul, man, we want you to, to head this this thing and we can grab some of the other members. I, uh, I don't know how to ask it. 
I, and I want to. One day, I want to be able to ask Jelly Bean this and Jerome as well. But I mean, like, how did you guys feel in terms of okay, let's take this, create a new group, and you know, we're bringing some of the time members into this, and it's a new thing. I mean, how did you feel? Here's the question: How did you feel when you were approached to be the lead singer of this new thing, sort of from the ashes of the time? Well, we all knew Morris had left. That was the big news. Prince called us in for a meeting that was uh, people who were remaining who did not leave the fold. Jesse had left. Morris had left. There were people, uh, I think Mark Cardenas was still around at that time, and uh, uh, Jerry Hubbard was around at that time, but I think they ended up, I can't remember if they were in this particular meeting or not, but Prince basically sat us in a circle at the, at the rehearsal hall. He said, you know, these guys are gone. We're going to do a new group. You're going to be the new lead singer. And he pointed right at me. I had no idea that he had heard me sing other than the, the time gigs, but uh, he must've. The only thing that I can think of is that Morris and I would trade do a little lick battles in, in uh, the dressing room at First Avenue and our dressing room was separated from Prince's by a sheet. So I'm sure Prince probably heard some of that. Only thing that I can think of that he would have heard me sing. But so he points at me and says, you're going to be the new lead singer of this band. Of course, my mouth drops and uh, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go. So he, he basically said, who's in and who's out? I believe over the, if I'm remembering this correctly, that over the course of the next week or weeks, that's when a Mark and, uh, and, uh, Jerry Hubbard decided to go with Jesse. And then Prince began to fill out the rest of the band. I didn't know Eric Leeds. I didn't know Susanna. So this is one of his visions uh, that he created and, and he was brilliant at picking out individuals to support the stories and the, the you know, mini uh, movies that he would, I call them mini movies because the, the, the family definitely is a, you know, it, it's a story. It's a whole, it's a whole plot to it and the record and the look and the sound and, and that whole bit. But the people that he put together for that, the fact that we're hanging out and playing shows 30 some odd years later. Mm. Sure. He didn't bank on that, but we still love each other and, and love the music that we created and continue to create. So and a hell of a ride, man. Wow. Now you guys had the family, you guys at the, at the time you had, uh, I'm gonna let that go by. <laughs> <laughs> what the windstorm? Yeah. You either over there in a yeah. windstorm or you are in the biggest, uh, green farmery, greenery place smoking trees but that's neither here nor there uh, <laughs> if you want me to i can try to move it to the car man if it's trying yeah let's crazy. let's try to do that if you don't mind you want okay hold up <laughs> yeah because we don't want to have people okay you're gonna have to give me a couple of minutes here. not a problem because i'm gonna head out to the vehicle now you're doing some shows out there one second Yeah. 
Give me a couple more minutes here, fellas. That's right. Are you out there playing a gig? All right. I'm playing two gigs out here. Okay. I sat in with uh, Mick on Tuesday night, and then I'm playing a gig uh, in a week, uh, actually Thursday night, with a bunch of locals. Just doing some rock and roll. I think now we got a bad reception. Do you really? Oh, okay, there you go. You go, Nick. You go. Hold on. You're good. Now. All right. So hold on. I am in. I'm in my vehicle now. Okay. Sounds great. Tell me how this is. No, you sound perfect. Oh, Much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. All right. Let's start all over again. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, man, I forgot what I was gonna. Oh, okay. So the family. You guys yep. had one concert or show at that time back then at the First Avenue. Um, tell me about that show. I mean, was there a lot of? I would imagine there was a lot of preparation to go into uh, playing this record live. And here's the thing: I, I I saw the concert on Bootleg years later, but some of the other songs that blew my mind on that record were like Susanna's Pajamas and and Yes. And to actually yeah. see you guys play those, I was blown away. I was like, man, Paul Peter. I was like, St. Paul was funky. Like, I, I was like, he was on the, 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 the keyboard and stuff. I was like, oh, shit, okay. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, talk to that, us about that concert, man. Well, same sort of thing with, with that concert. We rehearsed for months and months and months, getting it right, and we'd be videotaping everything and checking it out and Prince Rome would be choreographing and all right hold on for a second so now things yeah, come together you're breaking up really bad all right so yeah we were talking about the uh first avenue concert yep and you guys so the first avenue concert we it took once again we rehearsed for months and months and months and months you know who's great with these dates is Eric Leeds. He knows all these these dates up, you know, they were yesterday. Of course, I've killed enough brain cells between 1985 and <laughs> 2018, so I don't remember any of that, the, the specific dates. But it was many, many months of rehearsals, getting ready, you know, making sure that the, the choreography was right. Prince was really involved with that, with the show, and Jerome would help with the steps, and just trying to get the whole branding of that band happening. And then we finally, you know, Prince would call these shows at First Avenue and people would just show up and the place was packed. And uh, I remember doing that show and and once I got done with the Prince hugged me on the side of the stage, like, a, you know, like he was so proud of, of the work that we did and we pulled off. So that was a really cool moment in my life. Was there any talk of going on the road, the family? You, you know, I don't recall that. I'm, I'm sure that he wanted to take us on the road at some point, but, you know, he had other stuff going on. He shipped me out to acting, singing, and dancing lessons in L.A. Oh, wow. While he was making a cherry moon. So this, this period, and this is the album had already been out at this point, is that right? or it had, Oh, yeah. Okay. And we were all, you know, still in the contract negotiations and the records out, videos out. He's out making a movie and we're all disappointed with 
the lack of attention that the, the record is getting. So we were, you know, and, but half of the band was in, in France. I was in LA, you know, and, and, uh, then we can get into the rest of it later, but it was, uh, it was kind of topsy turvy at that point. Now you said something, you was in the middle of contract negotiations. What do you mean by that? Well, we were as a band, you know, when you signed the label, we were the first ones on Paisley Park, uh, the Paisley Park brand, I believe. He had his attorneys, uh, um, negotiate a contract with our then manager. We had a separate manager by the name of Dan Brennan. He, uh, he was trying to negotiate this record contract and, and basically the contract wasn't a great contract, right? You know, it was making the same money I was making as a side man at the time. And I was like, mm, this doesn't seem right. So we were trying to negotiate it and, and, the management wasn't budging at all. And I went to Prince once upon a time. I said, man, you know, this contract isn't great. He said, don't talk to me about it. Talk to my masters. Mm. So I went and talked to his managers and they said, sign it or else. And that's kind of was the beginning of the end for me. Okay. This is interesting now. So you, the family is a group started by Prince he yep. does, he does the music, wrote the songs, he gave you the guy vocals, you guys came and did your thing, but it's essentially his group. And now you're signing you're talking about you had to have a contract to sign to his company. To That's right. Park. The individuals as a band entity were going to sign Paisley Park Records. That's correct. How how does that work if if it's his band? Like does he sign that contract too or <laughs> You know, <laughs> but no, he, he at that point in time he was seen as a record company, okay, not as a band member. Also, thirty years later, he'd say when I was negotiating trying to use the family name again instead of after luck, he said, "You can't be the family. You're missing your most important member, me." I said, "Well, Prince, <laughs> what would that look like?" He said, "We'll talk about that another time." <laughs> <laughs> my so, man Prince <laughs> yeah wow pretty funny man I mean oh sure and this is when he and I were getting along great I mean obviously when I split the family uh it was discord man and uh you know I, I totally get it but uh years later just for the fans knowledge we ended up hanging talking I'd call him we'd meet outside of Victor Wooten concert once and hung out and chatted for an hour Wow, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. I want to go back to this real quick. So, because I always wonder, like, uh, you know, wh why did St. Paul leave? You know, it seemed like there was this opportunity. Of course, this is Prince. You know, he was at the height of Prince-tivity and got all this activity going on. But are you kind of oh, basically yeah. saying, you know, some, you know, the, the paperwork wasn't proper. And, you know, if somebody tells you, well, hey, you either do this or step. So there's no like negotiation type of thing going back and forth, or did, or did you have? I, I imagine like sort there of what. No, go ahead. Go there ahead. was no negotiation. There was no negotiation going on, and coincidentally, what was happening is I got a phone call from a guy from A&M Records that said, "Come in, I want you to produce Janet Jackson's record. Come in and have a meeting with me." I'm like, "All right." Whoa. Oh. So I went down to uh, Charlie Chaplin's studios, A&M. 
And uh, the gentleman's name was John McLean, or is John McLean. Yeah. He, uh, he said, I'm not here to talk to you about Janet Jackson. That's the only, that, you know, I just want to get you in the door. I want to steal you away from Prince. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, that ain't happening, bro. But then he started, you know, pointing things out. My head started turning, and I started thinking about these things. And, of course, he's flashing dollars in front of me, and I'm going, hmm. You know, all the while, these contract negotiations are going south, Prince. You got to remember, I'm a 20 year old kid, and all this stuff is going on with me. And this is possibly the greatest opportunity I'd ever have to do my own music, which I was raised to do in a musical family. So I started entertaining that. And that's really when, you know, the Prince found out it went, people were going crazy. The band was going to break up. I ended up leaving the band, and I ended up not even signing with the NM. I signed with MCA. Right. And that's when the fight broke out. The the fight? You tell that's me. That's when the, the fight broke out. Well, somebody was swinging, or you talking about legal fight? <laughs> no, no, it was legal. There was okay. no. There was no. <laughs> I didn't send Wally well, in there after you. That would be a better story, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, Wally ran me down. Uh, no, uh, yeah. I, I had him in the second round. I had him down. He kept getting back up. <laughs> so well, let me ask about the other band members, though. How did they, once they heard that, you know, you had other offers or things on the table, I mean, what did, did you talk to them about this? or? I recall talking with Eric and Jellybean and, and uh, Susanna. They, you know, they were like, you, they were in the same boat with the contract negotiations. They weren't happy that I was leaving by any means. I remember being saying, "Baby, bro, you got to do what you want to do. We'll be, we'll be all right." <laughs> and they were. I mean, Susanna ended up hanging out with the Revolution. Eric joined the Revolution. Right. Jerome was in the Revolution. So uh, then I was off making my own solo record. But you know, I felt badly at that time about you know that decision. Everybody questioned me. I was questioning myself. Mm. it's a uh, it's a what if what if uh, scenario you know what if I would have stayed with the family what if I would have done this what if I would have done that and tell us I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be today mm. um, I don't question that decision at all I, I'm, I'm ending up exactly where I need to be and you know what's cool about it is that we did get back together through you know Sheila inviting us to go play her foundation's mm -hmm. uh, concert or fundraiser wasn't really on any of our radar to get back together, but we had remained friends through all of this. They knew exactly what was going on. Um, and we all grew up. We all had families. We all, um, you know, we all had our separate lives and it was just perfect time to, to come back together and make and start playing this music again. Right, right. What, um, just to go back, because, uh, you know, there's the the, the infamous uh, Paul Punk of the Month. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, now, bring it. Bring it. Yeah. I ain't afraid. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen. I, Big Sexy, I ain't afraid. There man. you go. Well, All right. Hearing about, I just remember, I think I may have read about this in something that back, you know, back in the days. I remember reading. I'm like, whoa. And then I've. I've since heard, or maybe I've seen the video of this, but I want to know from you two things. One, yeah. 
Were you there at that concert, if you were or not? And then what did you think about that? Huh. We're talking <laughs> about the First Avenue concert. Yes. I was there. Okay. I was there. And if my, you know, my question to myself is, what the hell were you doing there anyway? <laughs> why were you going back? And I, I don't remember why I was there, but I was there. He knew I was there. And uh, I remember distinctly him saying, St. Paul, you got that? St. Paul, the whole chant and that whole thing. I had T-shirts made up, St. Paul, punk. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Was, Put some respect on the name. That's right. Get your money off of it, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I knew he was going to do some sort of, sort of public retaliation, that, so it didn't surprise me at all. So I had fun with it. Had the T-shirts made up, and then I went in California same time he was and again I showed up at another concert why I don't know <laughs> but he started in with that again wow so I don't even know how many concerts he did that with but uh, I know that uh, the two I was at he definitely called me out now let me ask you this about that because uh, this could have played a whole different now y'all is good y'all some good good folks from Minnesota you know this is not hip hop this is not a contact sport but I'm curious in terms of the loyalty, in terms of camaraderie of homies in the bammer, did you ever step to Jerome and like, bruh, you're killing me out there. What's going on, man? I thought, thought we was boys. <laughs> we never had a conversation about it. <laughs> they were doing what they had to do. I was doing what I had to do. It was a, kind of an undiscussed understanding. Wow. And I was all good. It was all in play anyway. Part, you, of, part of the job description. Oh, okay. Did you ever, like, sort of push back in, in on stage at all or in record to print? You know, the only one I ever did uh, was, you know, 25 years later when he still was calling us out doing ice cream castles. And this has got to be seven years ago. Um, he did something with mutiny and ice cream castles calling us out again. So what I did is I took a, a hot summer, turned it into a, a, a bad commercial. You, did you ever hear any of that? Uh, no. no. Oh, dude. Go, go <laughs> ask check. your friends. Ask them to send you uh, the hot summer Menards commercial. There's a department <laughs> store or a, uh, like a Home up. Depot store called Menards. Oh, yeah. Hot summer. I was like, Hot summer days at Menard. <laughs> so I totally turned it into a, a bad commercial and put it out on the on the net. And he heard it. I never heard him. So we were going back and forth a little bit on that. So we had some fun with that. Hilarious. That's, you know, 25 years after the fact. Right. <laughs> okay. I didn't know Isn't that. that great, huh? man. Oh, sure. Man, they, they got you. They had you up on some... On, on some on some disc records, I don't know if there was any other. Well, aside from you going at Morris and Oak Tree and all that, but yeah, Princeville, he was not afraid to uh, clown people. I guess. On not stage. at all, and you know, uh, and there's the Dream Factory that evidently right. was supposed to be written about or for me. Yeah. Right. Right. And and, and let me say, you know, shout out to John McClain because I, I he was about getting some Minneapolis people. You know, uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not he mad. He ended at up that. with Jesse, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Um, uh, um, 
the first, uh, and so here's another big thing too. I always remember this. I always remember you on uh, Video Soul, I believe, with Donnie Simpson. When Rich, one, Rich, one appearance on Video Soul when the Vikings were in the playoffs. Wow, yeah. I, hey, I had that on videotape. I, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, come on. I wish <laughs> I had that, man. I don't have any of that. Stuff. Oh, That's man. Uh, yeah, with Donnie Simpson. Uh, that was, you know, that was the stuff. I mean, we that was must must watch that show. Obviously, very big. Sure um, was, man. That was that was the show to be on. Yeah. What was the talk? To us about that first solo album. I I went back and watched the Rich Man video again today. I hadn't seen it in years. I totally forgot <laughs> you had uh, old girl AJ Johnson was featured in your video. AJ was in that. AJ was uh, was uh, dating uh, Sonny Emery, the drummer in that video. The reason uh, Sonny was in that, the reason Sonny was in that is I was, while I was making that record, I was also on tour with David Sanborn. Mm. And he was David Sanborn's drummer. He introduced me to AJ. My brother Ricky, who produced the record, is on keyboards in those fantastic, terrible outfits of the 80s. <laughs> um, is that him with but the shades a and a little track. beret type of hat on? Oh, yeah, that's him. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's Brother Ricky who ended up later on producing Most Beautiful Girl in the World for Prince right. in the 90s. So, right. uh, yeah, man, that was a that was a interesting record to make. I, I you know I asked my brother Ricky to come on and, and produce that with me. And one of the things that I didn't get to experience very much when I was in the Prince camp was a lot of interaction in the studio while Prince was making those records, mm. whether it be the time or the family, you got to understand that I, in the time record, I think I played on one track and it was the live track. So that, that was all Prince and Jesse and Morris and whomever else. The family, he basically played everything except for the horn. Right. right. And that's where Eric came in. And so I wasn't involved in the basic tracking of that. And that's all to tell you that when I was making my first record, you know, I negotiated my deal where that I could have control over it. Like we all tried to negotiate. I had control over production songs, those sort of things. Mm. But I was green in making records. So I had to learn right on the spot. Talk about throwing myself to the wolves. So I employed my brother to come and help me out. Who he had, he had more experience in the studio than I did, but Man, did I learn a lot about making records. And uh, I'm really proud of that record. Uh, I love Rich Man. It was a song we brought in at the last moment. I wrote with my one of my longtime friends, Oliver Lieber, who still plays with me in F Deluxe to this day. Okay. He co-wrote that. I had Paul Abdul doing all the choreography, trying to still make me dance. Wow. And uh, <laughs> yeah, man. So it was, it was a fun, incredible experience. And all at the same time, you know, it's still fighting the, the whole Prince, uh, you know, legal team at that point. And who knows whether, you know, his, his uh, power at radio had any effect on the mm. success or failure of that record. But it was definitely a, it, it was, um, it was a factor, I, I believe. And it doesn't matter because that record did well. Um, for me, it was, like I said, an incredible learning experience and getting myself out as a solo artist, which is something that I wanted to do since the time I was born. Well, let me ask you this. I think this record 
is amazing. It's a dope album. We used to play it a lot. And a couple of things I want to ask about this record. First of all, you saying that there may have been some behind the scenes stuff going on with the radio play. That's that's a shame because uh, I can't prove it, man. So I understand. I can't prove that. it. I, I understand. And I could, you know, and, and and I don't want to sound like I'm. It, it could be also that nobody wanted to hear the record. I don't know. I, okay. But you know, at that point, there was so much mojo going on with you know, with that record that it was an interesting thing for it to not necessarily fly up the charts. But then again, that sounds egotistical. So I don't really know what the factors were, but it was, it was moderately successful. Let's put it that way. Well, you, well, I would say this, uh, there are songs in here. I, I call you know, when I, there's a song that's the jam to me. I said, you got burners, you know, you had, uh, intimacy, that's the cut. Yeah, man. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could play today. Um, you had, uh, see, I, I'll mess around and start singing. I know you too well. I know you too. I'm telling you, Paul, man. Yeah. I'm on these records, man. I, I feel. <laughs> so, too wow. well. That's cool. Uh, you had that one cut, which would remind me of like some George Benson was, uh, uh, I can't believe we're through. I was, oh, yeah. I was right. I was getting that that George David Sanborn Benson. on that. My, yeah. my mom played the intro on that. Wow. On an, an OV8. Yeah. Mom was ridiculous, man. I got the whole family on the record. But if you go back and listen to that haunting, we call it a verse before the start of the song, that's my mom playing the keyboard on it. She, wow. she was badass. Man, yeah, yeah, your mom's bad. <laughs> Mama was no joke, man. She was mama to everybody back then. She was an incredible <laughs> jazz musician and, uh, you know, basically adopted everybody. And everybody rehearsed wow. in her basement from, from George Benson to uh, Steve Miller, David wow. Sanborn. Now, of course, after Lux and, and all my projects, LP Music, Leeds Peterson, mm. they all are signing the wall. I'm back all to tell you that I'm back in the house that I grew up in when my mom passed. We, uh, I bought the house, renovated mm. everything except for the rehearsal room that's been standing, you know, pretty much the same, untouched for the last 50 years. Talk about musical history in, in wow. the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Wow. Still alive, man. You're doing it, man. You're doing Well, yeah, I want to get off this album real quick. I don't want to get off of it just yet, but, uh, you know, I mean, The Rich Man, you had that. And I can see why that would be maybe the first single. So they want to sort of tie it into you know, the, the Prince sort of thing and, and, and high fashion mutiny and that kind of stuff, that feel. But I always felt like you had these strong songs. I was like, my man could have been like, you know, coming right off of uh hauling notes and, you know, he'd have been that white dude that everyone would have just been rocking. Like it wasn't even, you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was uh official R&B soul music. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I didn't, I didn't understand yeah. why it didn't blow yeah. Looking at, and then I you know, have to remember that, you know, Prince's shadow was heavy at that time, and even Big his, time. and even his sort of thing. You know, you sort of have hip hop and different things sort of lingering to sort of sort of jump in the way of that. And what what year did this album mm-hmm. come out? Do you remember what year the album came out? Was it eighty seven? Was it eighty eighty six or eighty seven? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. Just, did you ever? Uh, play this album live did you guys on a road or anything with this i never really had the opportunity to do that on this record okay you gotta understand something as well uh whatever you want to call it r&b soul music by a blue-eyed norwegian 
wasn't necessarily the accepted thing back in those days, like a, you know Timberlake is now, or anybody right. else. Um, it's, it's interesting that you would point out the Hall and Oates factor of that, which was still you know R and B, but way more pop. But that's not the direction that we chose to go, especially with the first single on that. We wanted to with our roots, which were you know deep in the Minneapolis sound mm-hmm. and. That's the route that the A and R people decided to go with this. Yeah, I, I can I see why it was they a, did a that. good single to go with. You know, yeah, that's that was the way to go as far as marketing was concerned and all right. that. And it did separate me from people like Hall and Oates in those days, and true. George Michael and those people. True, true. But I, you know, now was the I don't know that Marco was just was it your decision of the direction of this in terms of the recording of the music, what type of genre it was? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what was just coming out of me. Gotcha. Those were my songs, either co-writes or my songs completely. And I wasn't going, I want to just copy the family record. I want to copy a Hall & Oates record. This was my shot, man. This was my shot to do the record that I always dreamed of doing. <laughs> And I totally recognize that. And what I did is I just wrote the songs that were just flowing out of me. That's that's the only direction that I gave it was be as honest as possible at age 21. Wow. What were you into musically then? I'm curious. What were your influences? Well, I, I grew up, you know, with Stevie. I mean, so many people say that, but man, he was, he, he was and is my idol. George Benson, you mentioned him. Mm-hmm. I wore out weekend to LA and Breezin. And <laughs> yeah. what's really cool is that I got to write a song for George and play on one of the records that he got nominated for a Grammy for. Wow. Uh, actually at Paisley Park. So wow. crazy music business, man. Um, my, my family and their musicality was probably my biggest influence. So I was listening to my brothers and sisters who would be bringing in, whether it's my mom bringing, you know, Count Basie into the house or um, uh, all that kind of stuff. Or it was my brothers and sisters with bringing in Power of Power uh, or Cold Blood. My brother Billy bringing in Miles Davis. Ricky bringing in uh, Todd Rundgren. Hmm. Just a complete potpourri of genres. And, you know, being the youngest, you just kind of, listen to all this stuff and, and make it your own. You influenced all these, by all these things, but find a way to write what you feel. And that's what just came out was what you hear on that record. Wow. Incredible. Uh, big sexy, man. I'm going to turn, turn it over to you for a little bit here. All right. All right. First of all, um, Paul, thanks. Nice mention of uh, cold blood. I remember uh, Lydia Pence back <laughs> when I was a kid, man. Oh yeah. Nice. Man. mention. Was that a funky band or what? That band was funky. <laughs> they were no joke, no joke. Yeah. Um, back to your solo album. Uh, if I recall back in that time, around 87, 88, a lot of the Quiet Storm stations are really starting to blow up. I think, why didn't why didn't MCA push intimacy in that vein and get that some more play? Because for me, that's still in the Mac database, if you catch my drift. <laughs> Wow. You know, that was the second single. And I don't know whether, you know, they record companies are funny, man. You really can't understand why they make the decisions they make sometimes. They spent a lot of money on the video 
for a rich man. I mean, back in those days, videos like that cost, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in 1987 money. Mm. So they, they, they bet the farm on, on that first single, and then what they do, they go, hmm, so are we going to bet the farm on the second single? So I don't really know how well they did at marketing that second single, but it was intimacy at that point in time. So whether they just said, okay, we're going to put this out there. They didn't do a video on it. Um, mm. Hard to say what their decision-making was on that. But at that point, you know, we, my manager and I noticed that they were kind of like thrown in the towel. Wow. We're like, great. You know, this record is way deeper than that. And so we were looking to go somewhere else after that, that record. We were already setting our sights on the follow-up to that. Now, without getting into, I'll make this quick, Mike. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> without getting into uh, any, like, L.A. Law type of uh, vibe here, you mentioned that John McClain, you know, initially approached you, but you ended up yeah. on MCA. What was the difference between A&M and the MCA uh, situations? You know, um, as, I, as I recall, I think MCA gave me probably more money <laughs> more creative control. There was a bidding war. Back in those days, they were thrown around big, big, big money, and there was a lot of promises made for over at the MCA side of things that John couldn't really match. So that's why I ended up going with MCA. Were you working with, is it uh, Gerald Busby? Was he there at that time? Sure was. Gerald Busby, Busby and Louis Silas and Irving Azoff. Okay. I remember being at Irving Azoff's office. Do you want to be on Miami Vice? Because if that's what it takes, that's what we'll put you on there. <laughs> like Miami Vice, what does I have to do anything to do with that? Hilarious. <laughs> but I ended up going with them because I thought you know, Lou and, and uh, Gerald and I got along great. Not to say that that uh, I didn't get along great with AM and John, but uh, I just felt more comfortable with the music being at MCA. Okay. I I I remember too. I guess at this point, probably when intimacy was probably coming out. I always got to remember they they had uh, you know Bobby Brown and sort of new addition in the wings. I'd imagine getting ready to drop their yeah. Name. I'm on the same exact label as yeah, them. They're getting ready to drop those bombs. So <laughs> they probably was like, "Hey, we're gonna jump on this." I can kind of right. you know, but uh, interesting, very interesting. That division. I mean, that's what just all that. Um, and that's why I was signed to the, the black music department, mm -hmm. which was awesome. I, I, um, but I'm sure that, you know, Bobby Brown coming around and, and, and uh, I don't know the internal politics dealing with that, whether it was, uh, any weirdness or anything like that. I, I play into any of that. I just made the best music I thought I could make. I'm curious, looking at the video, you know, looking at it with 2000, 18 older person's eyes, black man eyes. I, the video is, is dope to me, but I was like, uh, St. Paul got sisters in the video. <laughs> I was like, it's all sisters. Because <laughs> yeah. there was yeah. cats back then that wouldn't, brothers wouldn't doing this. I was like, man, was that a conscious sort of, do you remember? I don't know if you had anything to do with the casting or anything, but I was like, and then you had a couple of, some of the, you know, I've seen some of them in other videos, but you had some bad, some bad, Great looking women in there. I was like, I don't like. That's why. Well, no, again, back then I was like, look the, at St. Paul. That's one of the perks of being able to be on the casting. <laughs> involved with the casting of it. 
to be to be totally honest with you with uh with uh regards to the rich man video it's exactly as i had said before aj was sonny's girlfriend and i saw him like well we all should be in this video he's like well what about aj let's yeah sounds good to me there was no conscious me going oh i need to have three sisters in here and you know this that and the other thing I, these just happened to be people I was associating with, and okay. it just worked out. All right, I'm not mad at you. I'll, hey, I'll. Well, I thank you. Back then, I was. That's why I said, I said St. Paul's a real one. I'm like, he probably a player. He, he was smooth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. When I met you for the first time it was last year, I remember walking right. walking into the Capri Theater. You were standing, there, and yes, I was sir. like. That's motherfucking St. Paul, right? He had the suit. I was like, you stepped right out of, you know, everything I would imagine. You, I was like, that screams of passion right there. You just chilling, man. <laughs> well, you should you should see me now, man. I'm in board shorts, waiting to get on the wave. <laughs> now you're the coolest well, cat. I'm glad man. I didn't disappoint my brother. No, not at all. I was like, I had to step my game up. I was, oh, I was like, yeah, this this is, this this dude is cool, man. I, I can see it. I understand. Hey, that, that was that was a really fun thing to be a part. Of. That it was great to meet you there. That was excellent. I had a great time. Um, all right. So let me ask you this: After this album, you know, your second album, it seemed to be uh, I don't know if departure is a word, but it, it, like you kind of go a pivot a different direction musically. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely. As I look back on it. Um, that was a that was an interesting album. I love the record. Me a little bit of skin on that because it was more my managers at the time wanted me to make more of a rock record. They're like, mm. look, you know, you can't compete being doing an R B music record. You need to go more rock and roll. I'm like, I do. So these guys tell them what I what they thought I should be. It's, it's, you know, I kind of got a little lost, to be completely honest with you. I was like, okay, should I be listening to these guys? I mean, the first record didn't necessarily take off. I'm not a big rock star. Should I these people? Maybe they're right. People get in your head like that, and, you know, especially as young as you are, then you, the tendency is to kind of lose yourself a little bit. That's exactly what happened. That is not to say that I'm proud of that record. You know, I, I did have success at Popper, Stranger Love, funky rock record, you know, soulful ballads and things like that on there, but it wasn't straight ahead, you know, funk with influences on it, which is where I come from. Mm. Uh, you, you're kind of I mean, breaking up a little bit there, Paul. Lit. Paul, you're breaking up oh, a little oh, bit. Hold on. I'm going to come back out into the windstorm again. All right. Do you hear me now? Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. There you go. Did there you hear you my answer? Uh, if you could back it up just a little bit. You were asking me about the uh, the Second. Atlantic record, and, and you said it was a departure, and I think that's a really fair thing to say. My, my manager at the time said, you know, why are you going for the, uh, the R&B department? You're a white kid from Richfield. Why don't you make a rock and roll record? At that time, I was, you know, starting to question myself and going, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe I should, you know, listen to him since the last person didn't take off. I'm not a big rock star. I didn't get 
were started questioning myself. This is all not to say that I'm not proud of that record because, you know, we had some success at, at uh, MTV and on the Hot 100. But honestly, that record is not a complete fair representation of where I am, which is from the funk jazz world. This was straight ahead rock and roll with, with some, you know, R&B influences and those kind of things. There's some great R&B talent, but for me, it was, I think I got a little lost. So I, for you saying it's a departure, I think you, you were right on. It was, and it wasn't necessarily a accurate representation of where I probably should have stayed in hindsight. Mm. But hey, you know, you, you do what you do, what right. you think you make the best decisions at that time in your life, and you listen to people who have influence on you, and, you know, maybe they were right, maybe they weren't. I don't know. I still love the record. I think it's cool. But I sure like what I'm doing now. <laughs> right, right. What, now, how many albums did you have on Atlantic? There's, was there another one after that on there? Or? Just the one, man. Just the one, okay. That was it, one and done. And was that... Uh, in terms of your solo stuff, was that the uh, the last sort of major label thing, or? Yeah, that was the last major label, and then I followed up with. Uh, I did one called Blue Cadillac in '96. Mm. I did a bunch of records with like Minneapolis All Stars, my family. I played, and that was a period where I was touring a bunch. Toured with the Steve Miller Band, and. and Kenny Loggins and you know a wow. bunch of different people. So I was music business is goofy, man. You know you gotta, especially when you have a young family, you do what you need to do uh, right. to to make a living. And look, I ain't complaining. I've had an incredibly <laughs> wonderful ride, man, and they continue to have a great ride. And and uh, there's so many other people way more talented than me that that aren't able to do what I'm able to do. So I'm I'm grateful 100% of the time, man. I'll tell you that. Well, I, yeah, I would say this, you know, from just watching out outside, you always, I, I would say, I say this in a great way, you're a hustler in the sense of you're able to stay working. Like, uh, you've been in this game for a very long time, but I always see you, oh, he's working with this person, or he's doing this, or you have, you know, this band, or you're doing, you always seem to know how to flip it and keep it going. Uh, which I admire that because that to me, that's like the musician who can actually eat off of their art and still be true to what they do. You know, that's what you've been doing. So I, you know, nobody can't be mad at that. That's, that's sort of like, that's how you're supposed to be able to do it, you know, and keep reinventing and changing it up. Um, which, which would bring bring us to, uh, F deluxe, you know, this, uh, you mentioned Sheila got you kind of helped spark getting you guys back together. By performing on her thing what was it like initially getting back in the studio and just coming together and saying let's do this group again and we're going to do these songs you know it was a journey i'll tell you that i uh when i was on tour with kenny loggins i would take breaks in between the tours and go live in Susanna's garage <laughs> She was married to Doyle Bramhall at the time. So, you know, they had two little babies. And so in order to get maximized the, the, all of our time, I stayed there. They put me up. So the garage was quite comfortable, by the way. So really, the F, first F Deluxe record is a garage band record. Wow. I 
had my bass, my guitar, all my virtual instruments, microphone, my guitar amps, my bass, everything sitting in there. So I wake up, have coffee, uh, and, and roll out of bed and get some grooves happening. And then Susanna would come in and say, Oh, I like this one. Or I, I don't like this one. Can you change this one? And then, you know, she was the main lyricist on that. That is not my forte. My forte is musicality and production and organization and, and getting things and hyping things up as you just mentioned. But, uh, Susanna and I took quite a long time making this record we had never been in the studio with each other before. Mm. So there was some uh, growing pains. She'll say the same thing. <laughs> she was like, I don't like that. I'm like, why don't you like this? <laughs> we we had some arguments that were healthy arguments, and we laughed like you cannot believe. So it was, a, it was really a good, healthy uh, way to make a record, and we took our time because nobody was bugging us. So we made this record called in favors. Um, really are proud. Uh, I mean, we're all proud of the way this thing turned out because we didn't know what we were going to write. We weren't interested in making uh, a record that was going to sound like the family record because this was our to- story to tell, not Prince's. We didn't know what stories we were going to tell musically and lyrically. And uh, we just kind of said, okay, let's just do what we do. And, uh, and what you hear is what came out. You know, one thing that I'm really proud of is how funky it is, but how musical it is, and how we integrated R&B and, and you know, jazz uh, harmonics in, inside of all that. Mm. And that's what I think the beauty of that record is. Wow. I mean, and you know, of course, we've said their names, but you know, you have like super players in your group. You have the great Eric Lees, like this. Drop the mic on that yeah, alone. He's the other lead singer in the band. Eric Leeds is our third lead singer. Yeah, he's... I'm not kidding. <laughs> he brings so much to the party, and he's one of my favorite people on the planet. So much so that we have another band called Leeds Peterson. Yeah. We are just in the process of putting out. We can talk about that later, but I respect that man and his musicality so much, and he he really helped uh, you know mold that record to what it is. Yeah, Eric Lee is incredible. And now Jellybean is on there as well, right? Jellybean. Oh yeah, man. He's you know, a lot of people. A drums and a little guitar. A, a lot of people. I always feel like they don't. He don't really get the deserve the respect that he should get. I mean, Jellybean is a cold cat. You know, aside from the yeah, drumming, but the guitar and everything. I'm like, yep. dude is incredible, man. And, and songwriting and production. Yeah, yeah, like. Uh, he's, inc- he's an incredible, incredible guy, man. One of the hardest working guys too. That dude is out every night in the clubs playing with everybody, just wow. to play. Wow. He just loves to play. Wow. Yeah, I gotta try and get him on here one day because yeah, again, one of the dudes. I'll put in a word for you. Then. I, I would appreciate that. Yeah, because yeah, he does his <laughs> thing. Now, also, I wanted to ask uh, Jerome. Yes. Here's what I want you to do. Can you, because a lot of people that are, throw little things out or whatever, but talk to me what Jerome's presence brings to meld this thing together. Well, Jerome and, and the family and then the time back in those days, 
he's an incredible entertainer. Yeah. His personality just shines through that that whole his persona is just such to be reckoned with, you know, and he brings so much to the table with that. Um as far as being in the family, man, he did this exact thing. Incredible actor, incredible showman. When I'm up there playing the bass, you know, that's not that interesting to look at at all. <laughs> he is so, I think his talent, one of his talents lies in crowd interaction mm. um, and just involving people while we're up there trying to deliver the music. He's, he is, man, I, I wouldn't want to do it without him. Here's the good news. You know, he hadn't been involved with that deluxe for the first seven years. He's coming back and doing a couple of shows with us, which I'm so excited. Wow. He's always been invited, and I've respected the fact that he didn't want to do it. And, and that was totally fine, but the, the door's always been open for him. He's coming back and doing a couple of shows with us. Wow, that's going to be amazing. And, and uh, let's just jump into that for a second. So, you know, the Super Bowl is coming soon to Minnesota, Minneapolis. Yes. And we're going to win, too. <laughs> I, I have no skin I don't know in the when game. This is going to air, but I'm, we'll see. Well, I mean, I think this is a great accomplishment, man, because uh, you know Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are sort of curating uh, the entertainment aspect, right, mm -hmm. in the city. And looking at, um, I see the schedule here, and it's great because a lot of the hometown talent is getting center stage. You know what I mean? Like all these people are coming to town. Yeah. And you guys are playing. I see they got Cynthia Johnson playing Funky Town uh, on the 26th. That's amazing. Now, you guys are going to be uh, Thursday, February the 1st. That's right. You guys are playing uh, in, in very interesting lineups. You guys are playing. Then there's the, the new Power Soul uh, thing is after you. Uh, Andre Simone uh, mm -hmm. is going down. Talk to us, I mean, in terms of this being your hometown and, you know, 20, 30 years later, here comes the spotlight again. You guys are already ready and everybody's ready to do their thing. What does this mean to be a part of something like this and still doing it? People still coming to see you. you know? Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Jimmy and Terry for thinking of us. I mean, when, they, uh, when the Super Bowl announced that they were curating the talent, I was like, well, that's a smart decision. That's that's only fitting. They deserve that. Then I've been telling you, not a day went by when my phone rang and it's Terry Lewis. Not I've spoken to Terry Lewis about four times in my life. My phone rings. It's Terry Lewis. He said, "Hey, Paul." I'm like, "Terry, what's going on?" He said, "You know, uh, we're curating the talent for this, and we want you to be a part of it." I'm like. Well, I'll be, man. That's that's really cool. We appreciate that. Literally, um, we were on from the beginning. Wow. And it was, you know, such an honor to be included in that because, you know, sometimes the family in Epilux gets, uh, you know, a little, I don't know. It seems like we may not be as, as present in the Minneapolis scene, but we're the ones who actually have been together for almost as long as the time and it's still playing music. So for them to, to recognize the fact that we've been working and we're, you know, mm -hmm. we continue to make new music, which is super important for them to recognize that and invite us. It was really was such an honor. Right on, man. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting. It all sort of comes around. I mean, the fact that Terry Lewis called you 
and you know you go back to how you got in what I, I got in opportunity because you weren't there you know what I'm saying and that slot opened up I came in some people could have been isn't that Oh man, totally man. crazy. St. Paul, man, I don't let that white boy get in here, man. Ah, ah, ah. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> right? But no, I mean, but you know what I'm You're saying? You're right, though. He's good at that. So it's so dope that it all comes around, and he got another. He got an opportunity for you. He's, hey, man, I'm gonna show you some love on this. I think that's just really dope. Yeah. How, all you guys get to. Be I a think part it of is that. too, man. And I'll tell you what, that we all appreciate it. The fact that he would think of us for that and call us is uh it really means a lot it really does and we're proud to represent right on. And, and then like you said you guys have the um you're playing at the dakota uh show is january coming. 31st two shows and it's the first time that the five of us have been on stage in minnesota wow. since the first avenue concert that's history repeating itself man wow <laughs> man that's that's yeah, that's so, the truth man Fly in. Come on. I'm waiting on both of you. <laughs> if, if I was a rich man, I would be there. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> um, so, yes. No, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, you, you have to. The minute I get back from Maui, we're, we're, uh, we're striking up the rehearsals, and we'll, uh, we'll be ready to go for that week of concerts. All right. Um, I got to ask you this. We Some some other questions we have from, from our listeners and stuff. Uh, one of the yeah. biggest ones that a lot of people were asking uh, was asking about you guys going on the road and touring. Um, now, let me ask you this too. I know you guys have something that's coming up in Australia. I don't know, can, yep. you, can you talk about what that is? That's not everybody. That's uh, Since I've been doing a lot of work over in uh, Australia with Escalux and my other book called St. Paul and the Minneapolis Punk All-Stars, it's crazy you know, to, to have work over there and people recognize you for that work. I've been asked to be the musical director for uh, uh, a series of concerts called Nothing There's Prince. Basically what that is, is, is uh, you know, we're, we're honoring Prince and the music that he wrote with the people who were involved with him. Not unlike what the celebration is, but in another part of the world. So uh, what I like to say is that we're acting as ambassadors uh, for Prince's music. So we want to go over there and represent you know, our brother in the best way we know how and continue on the tradition of his great music with some of the people that he uh, played with. Okay. So I'm going over there. I'm going to be the music director on that with my brother Ricky, Shelby, Andy, Jellybean, uh, Stokely, uh, Nick West, and I'm forgetting about 10 other people, but uh, you get the idea. So we're yeah. doing that in April, right after the celebration in Minneapolis. Wow. Did you say Andy, Andy Allo? Yeah. Oh, okay. Damn. <laughs> yeah, man. So Listen. It's going to be, gonna be, a, it's gonna be a trip. You, you guys need to, uh, let me just give you a suggestion. You guys need a budget for a uh, digital, um, how should I say, uh, catalog person, so that way you can fly me out there with you. <laughs> I'm shooting well, my shot. In line, man. I got some family members who are offering that one too. I'm shooting my shot. Uncle, don't you want me to come? No. <laughs> but we're family. <laughs> that's right. No, I don't care. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's amazing, oh, man. That's uh, that's going to be a, a major 
major event in Australia. Uh, now, you mentioned the celebration. I don't know if you can talk about it at all or, or whatever. Are you going to be doing anything with the celebration this year at all? Or As of now, we are not scheduled to perform. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, man, I was going to ask you something else. Threw me off. Um, oh, uh, going back to F Deluxe and, and the touring, yes, I was asking about the, the touring. Are there any sort of uh, talk or uh, to tour in America? Is there, I don't know, ask you as a market for that. I know there is, but is there sort of promoters? Is there some idea, spark or something for not just you guys, but even like the MPG and a lot of you guys, there's a, there's a, there's a demand that people want to see these shows here in the States, you know, as well. That's right. You know, <laughs> we have not been able to come together as a package as of yet. Would not surprise me if something like that would happen. But right now, I think everybody's trying to do their own thing. And includes us with that deluxe. And, you know, we have, uh, speak for myself we have a bunch of different irons in the fire right now i just got done making a record with eric leeds called eric leeds paul peterson project that's a super important thing to me to be able to use as a vehicle to get out and play mm-hmm. that's a jazz instrumental funk record that you know we're really super proud of there's also uh you know if we can keep this this entity intact with jerome in there that um that really piques everybody's interest to, uh, to explore the fact to go on the road and do some shows. The hardest factor is just to get everybody scheduled together because we all got kids, some of them younger than, mm. than others, but uh, logistics seem to be the hardest part when you get to be the age we are. Certainly we don't rule it out on that. Man, we love playing this music and we love uh, you know, looking back at the stuff that Prince wrote for us and, and also you know, we look forward to making new music with each other. Right. Okay. Man, you uh, had mentioned to me, I think in, in Minneapolis, you, you, you mentioned about Prince asked you to join his band again. You remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, this was right around the time when Ricky was, my brother Ricky was staff producer for Paisley Park. Prince and I were not necessarily on the ends by any stretch of the means, but my brother had an office there. And he allowed me to come in and come into his office because we had a little recording studio up there. Ricky would hire me to play on, you know, a bunch of these side projects. Prince knew dang well I was there. He could have had me removed in two seconds, but he tolerated me and he let me play on the, on the records and we bumped into each other and we wouldn't have a lot to say to each other, but, um, you know, I was, appreciative and I knew that that I was in his house and, and that we were not, you know, necessarily in good speaking terms, but I I appreciated the fact of being there. Fast forward a few years I'm out with my brother Ricky making the David Sanborn record in New York City and, and that's basically when Prince closed the studio to the public and, you know, Ricky's tenure was done there. So we were gonna clean out the room and then I I wrote a note to Prince that just said, you know, look, I know you and I haven't really been on the best of terms. I totally understand why, but I have to thank you for what you've done for me in my career and what you've done for my family. Just want to, you know, so it was kind of a closing a door for me. And, 
allowing me to move on, especially after being there and not really dealing with that issue that he and I had. So I was closing the door, thanking him, and moving on with my life. Of course, the next day I get a phone call that said, Prince wants to see you. I'm like, yo, man, when I try to get out, they keep pulling me back in. (laughs) So I went up to his little apartment on the second floor. Of course, he let me sit there before he made his appearance, just to stew a little bit. He said, uh, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? Do you make a living making music? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing for what I can remember of the conversation. I said, yeah, I make a living. What do you do? Do you write songs? I'm like, yeah. I play in the studio and I go on the road. He said, well, do you want to join my band? I'm like, what? He said, yeah, but it's going to be an all-meatless band. <laughs> Mad cow disease will kill you. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we laughed, we joked, you know, I basically declined and, uh, that was it. But, you know, wow. to be asked to do that was an honor, especially after all we've been through. I think that was the start of the healing process for him and I, which was really cool. And we didn't necessarily hang out for after that point, but, you know, towards the end of his life in the last four or five years is when we started to have a relationship, I, you know, whether it be him call, calling me in and cussing me out for trying to use the family name <laughs> or hanging out at the Victor Woods concert. You know, it was all, it, net, things weren't going to necessarily change. You know, he was like the big brother. Mm. At the very end, you know, as he said, one of my last conversations with him was at the Vic Wooten concert. He said, do you have a coach? I'm like, what? He said, do you have a coach? Mine's Larry Graham. He tells me exactly what's wrong and what, what to do. I said, well, yeah, I've got four older brothers and sisters pretty much tell me when I'm out of line. I said, why are you offering to be my coach? He said, I said, what would that look like? He said, well then why are you playing bass? I said, because that's my favorite instrument. You should like be playing keyboard. Like I showed you back in 1983. Wow. I'm like, okay, coach, keep going. So he, you know, he was really, attempting, a, I believe, a relationship with me at that point in time. And I'd call him from time to time, and we chat here and there, and, you know, nothing too deep, but it was a hell of a lot better than it was, you know, when I split the band. So, And not too much prior to his death, he came down and saw my, my band, Leeds Peterson, with Eric, and, uh, you know, he came and checked us out. So, pretty cool. And he had us play at Paisley Park at his... Uh, at his uh, record release in September. That's right. Before he passed. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So, you know, things were a little bit better when, you know, towards the end of his life. So I appreciate that. Wow. That, I, I gotta say, man, that, that was some real, I'm trying to, cause that was some real stuff that you did though, to write that letter, you know, after everything to be able to just say, you know what? Hey man, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for, for uh, opportunities. And like you say, your brother was putting in a lot of work over there. And again, yeah, it's a it's a thing to for a guy to be able to look past some little disagreements and say, "Man, let's break bread together." You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're good people. You're yeah, I wish more people would do that in this world, man. For sure, for sure. You know, I mean, it really, that's as simple as it gets. You know, you 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 say you're sorry for stuff, and, and you you be grateful, and you move on, man. I mean, I. I Sounds crazy, but you know, for me, that's that's where I live my life. 
Man, talk to me about your brother, man. Uh, some not a lot is known, but I remember seeing his name on them records in the '90s, man. And like, if I remember correctly, he uh, had a had a lot to do with also, which to me is one of Prince's coldest songs. Is uh, "I Hate You." Did he he play on that one too? You remember? Oh God, you know you're going to ask me that. Not a- <laughs> 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 I should know the answer to that, but I don't know exactly what what songs he worked on, what okay. songs he didn't work on back there, but he, I'll tell you what though, Prince loved Ricky from the late 70s. His story is, and you should ask Ricky yourself, I think I'm thinking a paraphrase this right, is that Ricky was asked to join the band in the late 70s, and Ricky basically said no. And I think Prince respected that because Ricky was getting some, you know, uh, some play and playing with great people, you know, all through the eighties and nineties. And Prince asked him to come on and be a, you know, a staff producer. And, you know, not many people have been asked to produce Prince. Right. You know, I, I don't know how maybe David Z maybe and Josh and maybe you'll know more names, but can you imagine the honor and the respect that Prince must have had, you know, for, for my bro to, to go in and do that. And Ricky, Ricky is one of the most talented keyboard players, producers uh, I've ever met. He just happens to be my older, dumber brother. And I'm, that's why I asked him to do my record. And so many people have asked him to go on tour. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing musician and guy. So talented. Right on, right on. Uh, just to wrap it up, uh, I always got to ask this. And you don't have to answer this, but... Uh, do you do you think sure I do. do you think the family had the best album on Paisley Park Records? Oh, of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? I love it. Well, love you asked. Hey, of course I do. I there mean, you go. I think it's a, I think it's a great record, man. You know what? The the thing I can't get over is that he picked me, mm. and I'm forever grateful for that. It changed the course of my career forever. You know, it's something that I'm grateful for and proud of. You know, and I'll continue to make that music and continue to honor that record and the music that he created for me. And we'll keep playing it, man. As long as people want to hear it, I'm going to play it. All right. Oh, here, here's the last thing I'm going to ask, and then I'm going to go to Big Sexy. Going back to the F Deluxe thing and, you know, wanting yep. to use the name, the family. You know, so I think it's the time sort of falls in that same thing. You know, they had to do uh, original seven. Um, yep. And somebody, I think somebody asked this on, on the Facebook thing. Um, is there a conversation or even a thought of changing it back to the family now? You know, I mean, I would never say never. But, you know, at this point, I'm not going to barge in and just, do it without, you know, so a lot of careful thought, a lot of respect, and a lot of conversations. You know, we were already established as who we are with that deluxe, so it's not a big deal to us. Okay. Um, is the timing right to maybe do that? Could be. Uh, I'm not ruling it out, but I'm certainly not making it a priority. Fair enough. Fair enough. What do you think? Do you, what do you think we should be called? Let me put it back on you. Well, I would say this. I I wish it could have been still called the family, but now after his passing, 
I would sort of answer the way you did. It would have to be with a lot of sort of thought uh, and, and understanding because on one hand, you're going to get the pushback that, well, that wasn't his wishes. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And and you have to be careful. Yeah, so why, why would I change the man that I am now by just barging ahead? With exactly. Something like that. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. So and and you're right. You guys are known. I, we all know us the family. You know, the people who need to understand exactly. that we already know. So it's like like. Man. Yep. Plus, you try googling the family on, on <laughs> uh, you know, on the internet. Internet. I mean, you get our band up unless you put in Prince's band, the family. Oh, okay. You Google F the Larks, we come right up. There are pros and cons for it. You know. We'll think about it. As I said, you know, it's certainly not a priority, but, you know, if, if the family approaches us, you know, we'd certainly have deep conversations about it. I don't know. You know it's, it, again, we're cool with the name we got. I dig it. I dig it. Big Sexy. Yo, yo. What you got? Uh, Paul, going back um, briefly, I'm watching you right now, uh, by the way, on... Um, your first Avenue family, you know, set, and I gotta get me some uh, some silk pajamas like that. That's that's the look. Okay. <laughs> I gotta hook that up. I still um, have. Still have. <laughs> oh boy. My daughter fits in them. She she put up a picture of her wearing the robe and the silk pajamas. It fit her perfectly. That's how time was. Oh man, that's great. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Back in '83, when you did your first uh, show there with the time. And I believe, um, oh, Rocky was on bass. Now, for you as a performer, you know, that that set was incendiary. Take us back to what that was like when you went out there as a member of that band for the first time. Then compare that with being out front, you know, three years later at the same, you know, location with the family. Mm, Good question. Mm. Wow. Great question. And nobody's ever asked me that one before. Um, less pressure being the keyboard player. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, all eyes weren't on me. They were on, uh, even though I was replacing some of the most, you know, important people in the Minneapolis sound history, they're still looking at Morris and Jerome. They ain't, they ain't looking at the, the new white keyboard player in the orange suit. They're probably going, who is this dude? And is he any good? Oh yeah, I guess you can cut it. Well, now let's watch Morris difference in me step up front is you know nerves am I going to make Prince proud and the rest of my band members proud am I going to make my family proud am I going to screw up all the same nerves you get whenever I you know I still go on stage am I prepared do I have this stuff cold how do I sound am um, I going to overplay you know, all these inner dialogue that you have as a musician as an artist and you get out and then you go on autopilot and then when it's done it's like did that really just happen and when I walked off stage and Prince hugged me I did a good job alright nice. nice I hope oh. that answered your question no it did it did thank you alright Mr. St. Paul man again we really appreciate you sharing your time with us uh, sharing these stories with us it, you know a lot of us are longtime fans and we never, you know, get to hear from the actual people. So it's always great when, you know, people can come on and talk about their experiences and share this stuff because it, 
you know, puts more light in pieces of the puzzle for us. Yeah, man. So, well, yeah. thanks for putting up with the windstorm over here on the <laughs> North Shore of Maui. I hope it's not too terribly distracting. And, you know, for you to call and ask me 30 some odd years after <laughs> the, the initial records that I did, to keep that music alive, man, it's an honor to, to, uh, to be a part of something that, you know, that you never thought would, would be as important as it is to this day. So I appreciate you guys keeping the music alive and I appreciate you guys, uh, keep me in the mix. Oh man. Always, man. Those, those records mean something to us, man. You know, we, I used to jam them records, uh, as a teenager, I still pull them in rotation and that's a that's something I always I want musicians or artists to know, man. Like, you that stuff matters. Like, there's new people listening to it, uh, old people listening to it, but we still care about it. We somebody didn't get the do they they needed back then, but we're gonna give it to them today. So there you well, go. You know, here's what I go I gotta tell you something. I just saw this movie called Rumble. The uh, and a friend of mine, Stevie Salas, uh, he was the executive producer on this record about Native Americans. Uh, their their contribution to the music scene. One of the things that one of the the, the people said in it is that the arts, and music, uh, is the medicine mm. that keeps this world sane. And I couldn't agree with it more, man. You know, what we need is is more people supporting the arts, supporting the uh, the, the music that heals us. And I think that that's what not only Prince's music does, but all of these individual artists that you, you know, you validate by, by calling us and asking, you know, how we made the music. I think that just aids in the healing and the medicine. Wow. So good on both you. Man, we appreciate it. Listen, we want to shout out all of uh, our listeners and friends and family who uh, contributed to questions and just listen to the show and, and, and keep everything going. Go out to the concerts of F, F Deluxe and, and the family and all the other great groups. This whole community, man, we want to shout out everybody because this is why we do it. It's great to be a part of something. Uh, thank you again, Paul. Shout out to uh, Eric Leeds. Uh, yeah, and the whole family, Susanna, Jellybean, Jerome, uh, man, yeah. your, br your brother Ricky. Uh, what was the other gentleman? I'm sorry, uh, he still plays with you today. Uh, last name starts with an L. I'm sorry, uh, you say he's in your band, Lieber, Lieber, Lieber. Yeah, yeah. Oliver Lieber. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, shout out to Oliver Lieber, and man, just keep doing it. We're gonna keep listening. Uh, podcast juice family, as I always say, you know, I'm most appreciated of you guys. Keep working it like a job. We will see you next time. Big Sexy, I'm going to let yep. you take us out. One last word. Go ahead. Well, Paul, I got to say one last thing. Um, when you guys go on tour, if you happen to do intimacy in concert, I will act a fool. There, it is. <laughs> there you go. Add oh, that. Man, yeah, add that to the playlist. That'll be a cold performance right there. That'll be down for that. All right, we out of here. Thank you, ladies.
Classic.